when we're dealing with sin, we're dealing with demonic oppression and attack, and we're, we're dealing with the flesh. Anything and everything will go wrong. Every kind of distraction, whatever, whatever's going wrong right now in your home, whatever's going wrong with the internet, with our, with our putting together, forget it. Because every one of those things are distractions so that you forget or that you, you, you ignore what you're about to learn this, this morning. So if the devil starts to fight hard, it's because what we're going to teach and what we're going to learn is more important than anything else. And he's going to try and divert it. I mean, he'll bring a lightning storm. I don't care. Uh, whatever you imagine, he would like to be able to do. So let's just forget about everything else. And let's learn about how temptation has met its match. First Corinthians 10, 13. And hopefully as we go through this month, you'll be able to memorize one of the first scriptures I ever memorized. I know Leo tells me it's one of the only scriptures he's ever memorized. And uh, that's a good thing. You don't have to memorize a thousand scriptures, but you ought to live, you ought to memorize some that you live by. And this is one of those that you do live by. First Corinthians 10, 13. I'm going to read it out loud. It says, there had no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful. And I wish you would circle, underline, uh, highlight those four words. Who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you're able, but will, with the temptation, also make a way to escape that you may. I want to say, number one, it is much better for us to have victory over temptation than only forgiveness of sin. Think about it for a minute. Don't get me wrong. There's no greater feeling than when a great wrong has been forgiven. When great love has covered someone's sin, there is no greater feeling. But that is not where a Christian lives. We live beyond forgiveness. We're supposed to live in victory over our sinful habits, over our sinful words, over our sinful attitudes, and, are you listening? We're supposed to live in victory over temptation as well. So the Bible doesn't just teach us about sin and about victory over sin. It actually teaches us about temptation and about victory over being tempted. Now, last week we started this verse and we just looked at the very beginning of it where the Bible says there is there had no temptation. Started there. We talked about what temptation was and how it works. And then it talks about the word taking you, grabs you, hooks you, uh, traps you. But such as is common to man. That's as far as we got. We learned a lot of things, didn't we? But now comes the best part. There's actually one more part after this. Next week will be hopefully... My plan is to finish the message next week, but now comes the best part, okay? So hold on to your hat as we continue. Let's, um, let's talk about the meaning of temptation. Somebody said, what is temptation? Well, as I said last week, it is anything that activates a wrong passion in me. It is anything that makes sin reasonable in my mind. It's anything that would convince me that it's okay to steal, Anything that would convince me it's okay to do a double and triple look at somebody I shouldn't be looking at. Anything that convinces me to do wrong, I haven't done wrong yet, but now I'm convinced I can get away with it. When, I'm, when I am convinced that I can do it and not get in trouble, I am being tempted. Anything that lures me to disobey God or his will. Temptation is the turning of my attention away from the will of God onto anything else. As I said last week, no matter how good it may be, if, if, if I am tempted to do something other than the will of God, and it may be a good thing, maybe perfectly fine, maybe biblical what I'm doing, but if I'm doing it 
and not doing what God asked me to do and what God told me to do, that is sin. And if I'm tempted, if I'm convinced that I should do something else in the will of God than what God says in the word of God, that is just as wicked as adultery, even though it may be just fine doing it for everybody else. So temptation is the pull on my heart and my nature to do something wrong. It's the cheese in the mousetrap that the, that the mouse smells and looks at and goes, oh, I want that cheese. It's the worm hidden on a hook, on a hidden hook. It's the flirt and a hug just before the pregnancy and the sexually transmitted disease. That's what temptation is. It's like a strong magnet. Sin is like a magnet. My nature is like the metal. And, and how metal just reacts to the pull of the magnet, boom, it just gives in, just yields. Now, not for a Christian, though, and that's why we're talking about this from a Christian viewpoint. And I want you to ask yourself, how am I supposed to resist the pull of the magnet of sin? Third, uh, third thing about temptation is it is separate than sinning. It's a whole different process. It's something you do before you, that you struggle with before you sin. Um. So I'm going to talk about that. Just hold on. Just understanding that there's temptation and there's sin. You do not have to sin and you do not have to give in to temptation. You can have victory before you ever struggle with sin. You should be struggling with and having the victory over temptation. That is my goal for you to learn. It is the, it is the short path from where you are. This is what temptation is to where sin is. If I could describe it. Let me say one other thing. It must be constantly defeated. Temptation doesn't go away. It may pass for a little while, but as you get older, temptations change. No matter how mature you are in the Lord, no matter where you live, temptations always come up. So it must constantly be defeated. So let me show you a little diagram about the path of sin. Okay, The path of sin is just real simple. That's you and me. And we're on this road called life. But sin is just beyond me. Sin is out there, and sin is the opportunity to disobey God's law. And it's always, it's always made to look prettier. It's always made to look better than where I'm at. Basically, when I'm, when I'm struggling with sin, I'm struggling with doing my own thing instead of God's thing. So temptation comes along, and like a magnet, pulls me to sin, draws me, lures me like cheese on a, on a, on a mousetrap. But the, 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 the big problem is, I'll talk next week, is my choice. I cannot change the pull of temptation, but I change my choices. And if when I understand the path of sin, just the fact that I'm tempted doesn't make me, make me sin. The temptation itself is not sin. But when I start making choices to yield to that temptation, that's why we sung that song, Yield Not to Temptation. When I start to make choices to give into that temptation, justifying my sin, I have already sinned when I yield to that temptation. So by way of background, we'll continue this thought, all right? And as we said last week, temptation, that, that desire for that cheese is common to everyone. You say, Pastor, you ever tempted? Yeah, every day. There's a temptation. You say, oh, now you may be thinking of only certain kinds of temptation, but we're tempted constantly. To, be, to, uh, to, to do things wrong or to do things other than we should. No one is free from temptation in this world. As long as you're alive and breathing, you're going to be tempted by something. 
Sometimes you'd be tempted to quit, as I'll say over and over. Most The most temptations that Christians uh, face right now is the temptation to quit, um, to constantly hide, crumble. Every Christian is tempted. There's not a single person alive that doesn't have some kind of battle with temptation throughout their life. But every person who's breathing is not only being tempted, but if they're saved, they have an opportunity for victory. Do you know even Jesus was tempted? He was tempted in all points such as we are, the Bible says. But let me make one more fact about temptation, and that is this. You and I are tempted far more often than we realize or that we're willing to admit. We're just so used to it, we don't mind playing with uh, fire in life. We get used to it. We think it's okay. Another point about temptation is this extremely powerful force in our life. It's like, as I said, it's like a strong magnet. It can trap you, gut you, and ruin you in five seconds flat. It grabbed and conquered King David's eyes. It overwhelmed Jonah's heart. It shut Peter's mouth when he was accused of being Jesus' disciple. It took five seconds for temptation for each one of those to be conquered. Temptation, temptation, not just sin, but temptation can ruin your marriage. Do you know, it doesn't just take adultery to ruin a marriage. All temptation needs is for you to do, to turn your attention away from doing what you're supposed to do and uh, what you're supposed to be doing for your spouse and your family. And I guarantee you things will start falling apart. The temptation to just ignore and to do your own thing instead of doing things God's way, that temptation is the beginning of the ruin of your family. That may not happen for a year, two years, five years. I don't know, but that's where it starts. Temptation can ruin a lifelong friendship. It can ruin a holiday. Temptation can ruin a savings account. Temptation, yeah, when you start getting tempted to take a bit of money and try to make some fast money on the races or whatever or on the lotto, it can ruin your savings account. And it can, it can ruin your sanity you know, many a Christian has self-destructed simply because they thought a little sin wouldn't hurt anybody. And that thought gave an end to temptation, ruined them. You know, that power, the, the, the power of that temptation is not as powerful as your decision to give into it. It already is powerful enough, but what right do you have to give into it? It's like a thief outside your door banging to get in and you decide to go open the door and let him in. You have a door, you have a lock, you have a double lock as, as a homeowner. You have the ability to keep people out. Why would we let temptation in? But we do. So why? Why is temptation so powerful? Well, there is a power behind temptation. Maybe you haven't thought this thing all through. I like learning this kind of stuff. So I hope you learn these things, okay? The power behind temptation. It'd be so nice if we just battled the temptation to eat too much. Or that we would battle the temptation to binge watch, binge watch some stupid TV program for hours on end. Or we only had the, to battle the, the temptation to eat a Cadbury bar a day. Or if we only battle with the desire to lie about where we've been all day. It'd be great. But those things are not are actually what we're supposed to be battling against. You know, do you, I want you to realize we are battling... When sin comes along and, and lures us and tempts us, we are battling this pull that, that we, had, we don't even fully understand. But the, but the point of this is there is a 
power behind that pole. And his name is Satan. Matthew chapter 4, if you'll go there. We looked at this last week, but Matthew chapter 4. Satan is called the tempter. Matthew chapter 4, verse 1. Then was Jesus led up of the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he was afterward a hungered. And when the tempter, verse three, came to him, he said, if thou be the son of God, command that these stones be made bread. We are battling against Satan himself. So no wonder we just crumble. No wonder it seems like it's, it's a irresistible pull to, to watch things on your phone or to let your, your attitude go south and to, um, to lie. No wonder, because there is a power behind that pull. There's, there's a creature called the tempter, Satan himself. And, but there's three more things that are working against us. Our nature, our own nature. The Bible calls it the old man, the old me. The Bible actually calls us dust. Uh, we don't have any strength. We have the illusion of strength, but we're just just dust. We're like a paperclip next to the magnet. How's a paperclip going to resist the pull of that magnet? We're naturally attracted to sin. Go to Romans chapter 7 now. Romans chapter 7, verse 14. Romans 7, 14. For we know, verse, uh, verse 14, that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal. I'm fleshly. I'm a lot of flesh. I'm sold. I'm in bondage under sin. Talking about a Christian. If you're still in the flesh, you're still going to struggle with sin. For that which I do, I allow not. So the things that I end up doing, I won't allow myself to do, and I won't allow anybody else to do it. For what I would do. That do I not. So all the things that I want to do during the day, I end up not doing. But what I hate, that do I. If then I do that which I would not, I consent unto the law that is good for me. It's good. Now then it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth where? In me. There's something wrong in me that there's something in me that loves the pull of temptation. That like metal to the magnet, wants to sin because there's sin in me. Verse 18, for I know that in me that is in my flesh. You see, I'm a Christian. I've got Christ in me. That's a good thing. But in my flesh dwelleth no good thing. Now I've got the will. To will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good, I find not. Verse 19, for the good that I would, I do not. But the evil which I would not, that I do. Do you hear conflict there? <clears throat> his conflict's in his nature. His conflict's in him. You can't blame your parents, Freud, and his problem with his mother. You can't blame your society. Now, everybody's got a part to blame. But you can't blame the bully down the street. You can't blame your brother. You can't blame your economics and the, the poverty. You can't blame anybody but yourself when you give in to sin. Because it's, it's in you that wants to. It is my nature to be selfish. I don't know about you. Well, I do. <laughs> but I think of myself first. It's what I naturally do. It is in my nature to lust after what I should not have. It is in my nature to use anger as a weapon. It is in my nature to hold grudges. 
It is in my nature to criticize and judge other people. It's in my nature to be lazy. It's in my nature to ignore the needs of others and focus mainly only on my needs and my wants and not other people's. And it's in my nature to be constantly out of balance. <clears throat> it's very hard to go against my nature, but it can be done. That's the point of this message. It's got to be done with a lot of training, though. You know, they train these dogs. You can put a slice of fresh bacon. I mean, fresh cooked bacon right on their nose, and they can sit there, and they won't flinch. They won't even blink until, until their master, until their owner says, okay. And, boy, then they gobble it down in one quarter second. Uh, they, it, takes, it takes army training for eight weeks to uh, prepare people to, to do not do what they naturally do. When, when somebody's shooting at you, you drop and you run and you get out of there and they have to drill and drill and drill and drill in you to go against your nature. That's what people in the fire brigade do. I, I run from a fire, but they've been trained to go against their nature and to risk their lives to save someone else. That is good. <clears throat> but it's very hard. Another thing that, that the power behind nature is our feelings and our needs. If you ever try to reason with somebody who's hungry, let me tell you this, you're wasting your time. They just want some food. It'll, you know, if you're hungry, I'm, I'm not talking about you're hungry, you haven't eaten in eight hours. I'm talking about you haven't eaten in eight days. Somebody who's hungry, they'll end up doing some wrong things. They'll end up stealing. You'll do what you have to do, and a lot of things will be wrong. That, that feeling, that need will drive you, and you won't care whether things are right or wrong. If you ever try to reason with somebody who's been abused, you're out of your league. They just want somebody to weep with them. You're dealing with you're dealing outside of your league when you're trying to fix a problem that is in us. Loneliness is a powerful force. And if you let if you if you yield to loneliness's uh, attraction to sin, you'll get yourself in serious trouble. Our feelings and our needs are a very powerful powerful force that are nearly impossible to go against, but there's one other and that's our peers and our culture. <clears throat> These are the people we look up to and hang around with. And they pressure us from the behind. They pressure us more than we know. You know, the people you look up to, all they have to do is ignore you and you crumble. All they have to do is change their hairstyle or their hair color. And all of a sudden, you, you, you change yours in the same way. They make fun of anything godly or pure, and you fall right in line with them and mock it as well. Shame on you. I know, I know how hard it is at school and at work, it, it, around other people, for you to be a Christian. It's not easy. But you see, our peers and our culture, no matter how hard it is, that is not where we live. Too many Christians live constantly ashamed of how they have been ashamed of the gospel. What a way to live. That's not how, You're supposed to, we're going to fix this thing in a minute here, okay? Maybe you are tempted. Maybe you've been tempted like never before to quit your marriage. Maybe you've been tempted to quit your job, constantly trying to quit anyway because you never like it. Get over it. Maybe you, you, maybe you just constantly quit some gospel ministry. Maybe you're tempted to go back to the old life. Maybe you really think it's really good drinking and, and, and drugging and, and uh, fornicating and, and just living loose. <clears throat> Maybe you're tempted to go back to the clicking on that wicked website. Uh, 
how, how are you going to keep from doing that? Is what I want to answer this morning. How does a Christian battle against such power? And here's the message, okay? What God says about temptation ought to shake you and rattle you to the core. Let's go back to 1 Corinthians 10, 13. We're going to look at four scriptures that we're going to ask ourselves, do we believe them? 1 Corinthians 10, 13. <clears throat> you see, I've already read that. Read it again. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. There had no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man, but God is faithful. I want you to see, we're all tempted. As a matter of fact, we're all going to give in to temptation at different times. That's a reality. But what God says about temptation is that he remains faithful. He doesn't just remain God. I know God is God. But when somebody says, I'm faithful, what that means is I'm committed to you. When God says he's faithful, it means he's, he's stuck with you. You cannot blow it, dear Christian. You can blow the rewards. You can blow sanity. You can blow your family. You can blow your, your, uh, your long life. But you cannot blow God's commitment to you. God remains faithful. You ought to smile at that and go, hallelujah. Both hands ought to be raised in glory and praise. But that's not finished. It says that he will not suffer you to be tempted above that year able. That's hope. But will with the temptation also make a way to escape. He always makes a way to escape that you may be able to bear it. So God says <clears throat> that every born again child of God can escape temptation's clutch. Say, uh, temptation's grip and its consequences. Go to, um, uh, go to 2 Peter 2.9. Right after the book of Hebrews is 2 Peter chapter 2. <clears throat> 2 Peter chapter 2 verse 9. But ye, no, I'm in the wrong place. I'm in 1 Peter, ha ha. 2 Peter 2, 9. The Lord knoweth how to deliver the godly out of temptation. Now, he's not going to deliver the ungodly, the unsaved. You know, if you want to live in your sin, dear friend, if you want to live an atheist, an agnostic, you want to live just flirting with religion and going on living your own way, God will let you go. But when you try to live godly, God is promising here. He knows how to deliver the godly out of every temptation. And he can reserve and he will reserve the unjust until the day of judgment to be punished. That's the wrath of God coming on this world. And I'm glad I'm saved from it. God knows how to get you out of temptation's grip. Go to Jude. You're almost to the end. Go a few more books to the right just before Revelation is Jude chapter 1, verse 24. Jude 1, 24 says, Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you, I like that word, faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. According to Jude 1 here, God can keep you from falling into sin and from give, from you giving into any temptation. Wow, God can do it. One more, one more. You ready? Romans 8. Romans chapter 8 and verse 37. Romans 8, 37 says, Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. That's great. I'm not just a conqueror. I'm more than a conqueror since I got born again. 
So where's the problem? He's like, Brother Craig, I, okay, that's what the Bible says, but why don't I experience it? All right, here's some responses. Many Christians don't really want to escape. That's the truth. Now, nobody else will tell you that. Every other person you're listening to on the internet and on YouTube and stuff like this, trying to make you feel better about yourself, <clears throat> trying to make you think that it's okay, the struggles that you have, trying to make you think that, you know, you're, you're on your way. No, no, no. Our problem is we don't want the escape. We don't mind living with the devil we have. They like the bondage. Secondly, most Christians don't want to be godly. And that's the truth. We don't want to be like him. We want to be like our peers. We want to be like our heroes. Our, we want to be like creatures instead of like the creator. Thirdly, we don't need God to help us. We don't want God to help. We don't want his help. We believe we can manage on our own. <clears throat> amen, amen, and amen. And lastly, too many Christians love toying with temptation. They love the adrenaline that comes out of that bit of rebellion that they keep on the surface, maybe just under the surface. And somebody's asked them to do something and they just love going, no. And they, the temptation is to disobey and, and they just love playing with that. They're not doing anything wrong. They're just not doing what they were told. They're just not doing the right thing. And they love living there. They live so much like the world. They are like Lot. They don't mind living in Sodom amongst all the Sodomites. Hope that's not you. Now, you need to memorize those four scriptures because those four scriptures are your weapons against temptation, not just against sin. We always talk about how do I fight sin? Well, you fight sin by battling temptation and defeating it before it becomes sin. So there's a greater power on our side. Remember that, that diagram I showed you? There are two forces at play. One is the force of temptation. Think of a, a boxing match. And the second one is the force of God Almighty. And the truth is that God is faithful in my temptation battle. Because the Bible says that he is able to stand up to my every temptation. So when I feel like this coming against me, head to head coming against me, I crumble. But when I have the knowledge that the, that the Lord Jesus comes head to head with my temptation alongside me, he doesn't do it for me, but he comes through me. He does it in me. I find out that he has the desire and he has the ability to stand up to every one of my temptations. He proved it in Matthew chapter four when he stood up to Satan himself. So what's our, what's our power? Our power is God's faithfulness. By the way, it says there that God is faithful, not just was. When Moses talked to God in, uh, at uh, Mount Sinai, up there at the burning bush, Moses asked him, he says, what's your name? And God says, uh, I am. And Moses was freaked out, man. A, a, an ever-present, et, uh, eternal being. He not was, he not, he's not will be, he is, he ever is. The I am. <clears throat> so God is faithful. And he always has been faithful in the past. Think about it for a minute. God's faithfulness is what has gotten every great man and woman of faith in history through their temptations. Uh, would you agree God was faithful to David? <clears throat> As a young shepherd boy, he was anointed to be king of Israel, but he was hunted by 
the king at that time named Saul. He was often tempted to just quit or maybe to take revenge. I mean, for all practical purposes, King Saul had ruined David's life. So seven long, painful years, David endured. You know why he endured it? Because David trusted that God was faithful to him and was going to still make him king. And he was showing him a better way to act and react every time Saul attacked and tried to literally kill him. So even though David was tempted to quit, to quit he remembered, no, God is faithful. I'll stay the course. Do you know, he was and is still faithful to his people, Israel. Go to Deuteronomy chapter 7. Deuteronomy chapter 7. As rebellious and as wicked as Israel has usually been towards God for most of their history, God has kept his end of every promise he made to them. Deuteronomy chapter 7 and verse 7, you say, why did God make the Jews his people? Well, listen, this is the reason why. Deuteronomy 7, 7, the Lord did not set his love upon you, nor choose you, because you were more in number than any people, because you were this great nation, for you were the fewest of all people. But because the Lord loved you, say, why do he love you? Because he loved you. And because he would keep the oath, the promise, the vow, which he had sworn unto your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Hath the Lord brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you out of the house of bondmen in, in Egypt from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Know therefore, here's our verse, that the Lord thy God, he's talking to Israel, remember, note these words, the Lord thy God, not just the Lord God, but the Lord thy God, he is God, the faithful God, which keepeth covenant and mercy with them that love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations. He was and is still committed and faithful to Israel. You say, why is Israel even still here? Not because Israel's any better than you or me, but because God is faithful. Hallelujah. One of the proofs of God's faithfulness is Israel. And lastly, let me just bring up an example, probably one of the worst examples ever, but it's the best one for this. Even God was faithful to Lot. There in Genesis chapter 19, Lot was so covetous and greedy of, of financial gain. He didn't mind walking away from God. He didn't mind being away from God's blessings and from God's people. He wanted physical blessings. He didn't mind living uh, amongst a city full of sodomites. He didn't mind losing his family to that wicked culture. Yet in the end, when if I were God, I would have left him alone and abandoned him and let him die in the midst of those sodomites. But God intervened. God sent two angels down there and said, Lot, that's your way of escape. Run for your life. God had grace on, on Lot, even Lot. And here's a, let's just, we, it's, God's been faithful throughout the past, but he's faithful. He is faithful in the presence. present. Go to Lamentations chapter three. Uh, Isaiah, Jeremiah. No, I'm sorry. Yeah, Jeremiah, Lamentations. Right after Jeremiah comes a little book called Lamentations. Lament. It's a very sad, sorrowful book about the condition of Israel. But Lamentations chapter 3, verse 22. It is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed because his compassions fail not. They don't run dry. Yours and mine do. We give up. We quit. We say, I can't. 
take somebody anymore. But the Bible says his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness, O God. He's faithful to us in the present. You and I can trust God's goodness and his faithfulness to his children. I hope you're one of his children. You know, I, I, it's too many times you hear people say, we're all God's children. That is a lie from hell. The only people that are God's children are those who have been born again. That's a Bible word. Look it up. Just because you are created by God, just because you're a human, and just because you may go to church doesn't make you a child of God. Jesus called the most religious people on the planet. He calls them. He says, you're a child of the devil. You're your father, the devil. So God is faithful in the presence to those who are his people. And he can get you through every temptation to sin. He won't, and let me make something very clear. He will not remove the temptation. But it'll always make it possible for us to walk away from it. When you want to retaliate to somebody's attack, when you want to have what you should not have, when you want to boast and brag about yourself, when you want to complain about all your troubles, when you constantly struggle with doubting God and doubting his will, that's when you can look to God for help. And he'll always be there to help you. You say, I, I haven't prayed in weeks or months. Doesn't matter. You cry out for help in your temptation. He's faithful. Hallelujah. The work and the power of Jesus Christ in us is all we need to wrestle down all the powers of hell that pull our hearts and our minds away from living the right way. That word, that phrase, God is faithful, is absolutely breathtaking. All right, now let me just show you. We started with that illustration. I'm going to say that I'm going to bring this up next week. But we know all of these things. But you know what God did for us? First of all, I'm going to show you that God's going to put, God has put the devil on a leash. Hallelujah. He can only go so far. I'll come back to this in a moment. But the power of temptation has been limited by God Almighty in your favor. Second thing he did is he comes along and he puts something inside of you, someone, <clears throat> a new nature. And no longer are, do you only have the power of your old nature. You have a new nature. You have the nature of Jesus Christ. You have the mind of Christ in you. You have a new pull inside of you that wants to do right. <clears throat> it's better than your conscience because your conscience, you can burn out and it doesn't work anymore. But we have a new nature. We have new feelings and needs. All of a sudden, you're watching something on television and you never worried about it before. And you go, I shouldn't be watching this. And you have new needs. Before, you never needed to go to church. Now, you can't wait to be among God's people. You can't wait to hear preaching. You, you, you need to pray. You need to, to spend time in the Bible to just get cleansed and to get fed. You have new needs and new feelings. Amen. You may struggle with depression all your life. You may struggle with anger all your life. You may struggle with any kind of temptation and sin all your life. But God put new feelings in there. And you can now choose which one you're going to feed and which one you're going to give into. And there's one other thing. And we always make this last. We always forget about it. But it's just as important. And that is God gives us new peers and a new culture. It's called Christianity. God help us so that we make church priority. Because when you make church that last day, after you've done all the sports, after you've done all of the singing lessons, after you've done all of the money making on a Sunday, and then you decide, well, I better take my kids to church. It'll be too late. 
You have God gave you new peers, new friends, new influences, and a new culture. It's called Christianity, a Bible church, Bible-believing church. And all of a sudden, that being and that pull and all of those old pushes against you are weaker. And you can walk away from any temptation. I ought to stop right there and just cut it off, just say, ponder that for the next week. But I'm not. I've got to finish on six points about God's faithfulness because this is the message. <clears throat> the truth is the greatest words ever penned. I know God so loved the world. That's the greatest scripture verse for anybody. But the greatest words ever penned in any book ever is God is faithful. Let me show you just how faithful he is. I showed you that. Number one, God will never allow Satan to go too far in tempting you. Believe me, he knows how to tempt you. He knows what to tempt you with. He knows how to destroy your life. You and I are going to be tested beyond our abilities. See, is God ever going to ask me to go through something I can't handle? Yeah. Yeah. May, you, may have to, you may have to just do something and die doing it. You're not going to walk on water. Everybody wants to walk on water, and God says, no. <laughs> You're just going to have to just walk straight into trouble and die there in the middle of God's will. But you will never be tempted beyond your limit to walk away from sin. Did you hear what I said? You're going to be tested beyond your limits. But you will never be tempted beyond your limits. Think about it. God limits the devil, and that's a good thing. Secondly, God will always make a way for you to escape. God gives us a way out of sin's trap. Now, I can't go through it all, but Genesis chapter 39, you ought to read it. It says that uh, that uh, Joseph was a, uh, he had kind of come up in the world. He was a private slave. He worked in a house called Potiphar's house. who was a very wealthy governor in Egypt under, under Pharaoh. And Joseph was a strapping, strong, handsome-looking young man. And there he was in his early 20s, and the wife of Potiphar hadn't seen Potiphar in weeks, didn't get all the attention she wanted. And she got to looking at this servant and says, you know, he'd be fun for a night. And she started to manipulate the situation so that she just she and he would be alone one day. And uh, she called him in to uh, bring food to her and to uh, come close to her. And when he came close, she grabbed him. And let me read for you here. It says, um, uh, it came to pass after these things that his master's wife cast her eyes upon Joseph. And she said, lie with me. You know what that means. But he refused. And he said it to his master's wife, behold, my master wadeth not, knoweth not what is with me in the house, and he hath committed me all that he hath into my hand. There's none greater in his house than I. Neither hath he kept back anything from me but thee. He gave me the checkbook. He gave me the credit card. He gave me the keys to the chariot. Everything I have except you because thou art his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? And it came to pass as he spake, as she spake to Joseph day by day, that he hearkened not unto her to lie by her or to be with her. And it came to pass about this time that Joseph went into the house to do his business, and there was none of the men of the house there within. And she caught him by the garment, saying, Lie with me. She's got him. Nobody else is in the house. It, it, it's, it's just that fast grip. Temptation's got him. You don't. 
don't think for a second that he didn't feel the pull and the opportunity and the, the, maybe the, the desire. But it says this, and he left his garment in his hands and he fled and he got him out. He found that way of escape and it got out. God made a way for escape for him and he looked for it and he took it. He did not have to give in to her temptation. Believe me, I bet she was going to make it worth his while. She was going to protect him. She's going to elevate him. And he said, no, you do not have to give in to temptation. Three, God will enable you to go through that escape. You know, um, uh, I already quoted the verse. We already read the verse there in 2 Peter 2, 9. It says, the Lord knoweth how to deliver the godly out of temptation. God doesn't just show you how to keep away from sin or keep out of sin or to find forgiveness after sin. He shows you how to deliver, how to, he shows you how to escape temptation to sin. You can escape the grip, the dominion, the bondage, and the consequences of temptation. And he will give you, let me say this, the supernatural ability to endure. See, if God asks you to do something and it's hard, God says you'll be able to bear it. Go to 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 12. 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 8. <clears throat> Paul is struggling with a weakness, with infirmity. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 8. For though I should boast somewhat more, uh, I'm sorry, uh, I'm at 10, verse 12, chapter 12, verse 8. For this thing I besought the Lord thrice. I'm begging God three times that it might depart from me. You ever, you ever prayed against temptation? You say, Lord, or, or you prayed against a, a, a path that maybe God is even asking you to go down when you know it'd be easier to do one thing and God asks you to do the harder thing. Listen to this, verse eight. This thing I besought the Lord thrice that it might depart from me. Make it easier, Lord, verse nine. And he, Jesus said unto me, my grace is sufficient for thee on this new path. For my strength is made perfect in your weakness, Paul. Paul then responds and he says, most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory. I'll get excited about my weakness, my infirmities, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in my infirmities, in reproaches when people make fun of me, in necessities, when I, in the will of God, when I have nothing, where I could have had everything if I did my own will in thy persecutions, in the distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then by his grace am I strong. God will always make, he will always enable you to go through that escape and to do what he asks you to do. You may not have two pennies at the end of it all, but you'll get through. You say, I can't wait to get married. Don't be stupid. More people, more people live in regret today than ever before. Don't you be stupid and just walk down some stupid line thinking, well, I can't wait. If God asks you to wait, then wait. Here, God will enable you to, to say, you know, this thing that I'm doing, if I'm already sinning, I ought to know I'm out of the will of God. You decide to go and do the right thing, God will enable you to do the right thing and to stay at it, no matter how hard it may be, to just stay single for a while. God will give you that ability to endure. Um, um, God will give you something better than you than uh, to want, 
with better consequences than the sin we thought we wanted. <clears throat> it's very hard to convince you of this. I know when sin is so easy to pick up on your phone. Sin is so easy to do. You can tell off your parents now and you'll still be allowed to live. Not in my home when I was a kid. Honestly, it is so easy to do wrong. Nobody stops you. I mean, they'll stop you from getting a haircut at the barber. They'll take you and give you a fine. But when it comes to sin, hmm. What God promises is there's something better for you if you'll just wait. If you'll just do the right thing. If you'll just pull back from that temptation say, I'm going to walk a different path. I'm going to trust in the Lord with all my heart. My heart's not going to be used to give into sin. My heart's going to be used to give into the will of God. I can trust the consequences of doing right are always going to be better than the consequences of doing wrong. That's a good truth, folks. He promises, he promises, he is faithful to give you something better if you'll just stay the course. Number five, he, and this is a good truth, this is a great truth. God is faithful to convict you of the consequences of giving into that temptation. You will never face temptation without God saying, stop, don't say it. Don't do that. Don't raise your voice. You are never sinning alone now. When you are tempted to do wrong, you have the Holy Spirit of God in you, looking at what you're looking at, listen to every thought you're thinking, and he's not just sitting there. He's saying, whoa, boy. You ever been on a train? They have a, a pull cord across the side. Or they have a lever that you that you can pull. If there's something dangerous going on in the car or if there's a fire or whatever, you reach up and you pull that cord or pull that lever and the train stops. Wouldn't it be nice if the Holy Spirit was able to pull that lever on us? Well, he tries and he wants to. We just have so ignored him for so long, we don't even know he's talking to us. But he is faithful to convict us and to say, don't do that. Don't say that. Don't look again. God is faithful. And then lastly, God is faithful to stay with you through the temptation. He cannot abandon you. Would you believe that? This is probably the best part of the whole message. God can't abandon us to the devil's grip. Go to Psalm 103. Psalm 103. Middle of your Bible there, book should be Psalms the book of Psalms, and then Psalm 103 in verse 14. <clears throat> this, is by, this is the best part of the whole message, I think. You know, when you're struggling with that temptation, you are not alone. Psalm 103, verse 14, for he knoweth our frame. We, know, we talk about Psalm 103, verse 14. Uh, frame, we talk about, you know, a well-built man. Psalm 103, 14. My wife's shaking her head. It is. <laughs> um, we think about somebody who's built strong and, and mighty looking in his frame and structure and muscles and everything. No, God knows our frame. He remembereth we are dust. So, of course, he's going to be committed to us. He's not going to let us just stand on our own and face the devil on our own and face temptation on our own without him staying committed to us. You and I would never stand a chance against Satan, against our own nature, against the culture around us. We can't even stand against our own heart. So what he decided to do long before he ever created this world was he decided to stay alongside us, to help us every second of every day. 
Hebrews chapter 13. Maybe now it'll take a little, it'll take on a little bit more power in your memorizing. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5. <clears throat> Hebrews 13, 5. I hope you are memorizing these verses. I hope they mean something to you. Hebrews 13, 5 says, let your conversation. What do you talk about all day? What you want, what you don't have? Well, let your conversation be without covetousness, without any thinking of what you want. And be content with such things as you have. How can you do that? Well, look at it. For he, Jesus has said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. So that we can boldly say, the Lord is my helper. And I will not fear what man can do unto me. The Lord's our helper. He says he'll help you every second of every day. He is faithful. God is faithful. Now I got to wrap this up. Next week, I'm going to talk to you about how to make some choices, how to choose the right way. You need to make choices before you're faced with a choice to sin. And if you make the right choice, I'll give you a little hint. If you make the right choice to read your Bible, you're already better at defeating temptation. If you make the right choice to, uh, to pray instead of complain, you've made the right choice. God says he makes a way to escape. You've got to take it. So we'll talk about that next week. But here this morning, the final thoughts are this. In summary, we're all tempted. We're all tempted. Don't think for a second that you're ever going to get to the place where you're not tempted. If you defeat one side type of temptation, there'll be another one coming around the corner. The Bible says in Galatians 6, 1, Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault... Ye which are spiritual, ye which are mature, restore such a one in the spirit of weakness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. You got to consider, you know what? So and so just fell into sin, I could be next. But not every temptation is sin. As a matter of fact, being tempted itself is not sin. Even Jesus was tempted. The fact that there's, the fact that you are attracted to somebody that doesn't have any much clothes on or something, is human nature. So the attraction is not sin. It's whether you take the second, the third look. The fact that you want to lie to the boss and just stay out another week, stay in bed, that is human nature. You can't, you can't constantly want to change that nature, but you can defeat that temptation. Being tempted proves you're human. But every temptation... You've got to learn this. Truth about temptation is every temptation has a hook in it. It may look like the sweetest, most fattest, juiciest worm. It may look like the biggest hunk of cheese ever. But there's a trap just at the touch. There's a hook at just the nibble. Every temptation has a hook in it, a catch. We are no match for temptation. The wages of sin is death. And, and the devil has worked it in that every sin that he puts up there and tempts us with that's, that's going to kill us, when we get pulled by temptation, we're not going to be able to resist, not without help. So God is able to help you defeat every temptation. Again, I build this. I want you to believe this. I want you to say next time you're tempted to lose your cool, next time you're tempted to raise your voice, next time you're tempted to go to that channel or go onto that website, Ask God for help. Stop right then.
The Alcoholics Anonymous guys call it intervention, where you call a buddy. Well, maybe that's kind of, maybe you need an accountability partner, but you can call on God because the Bible says he is the one that's faithful. So-and-so may not be on the phone. They may not be reachable, but God is. There's no greater three words in your, in your vocabulary than God is faithful. He's able to help you defeat every temptation. And lastly, you just have to want to escape it. I hope you want to. I hope you're tired of constantly giving in to how you naturally are. But um, God has an invitation for you. Not everyone gets to escape sin's grip. Romans 6.23 says the wages of sin is death. It's a, it's a fact. It's a reality. Ezekiel 18.4 says the soul that sinneth, it shall die. If I asked you right now to raise your hand and say whether you've sinned or not in your life, every one of us would raise our hands. I guess we're all doomed because the soul that sinneth, it shall die. James 1.15 says that when, when lust hath conceived, you play with lust. The Bible says, yeah, it brings forth a different kind of life. It says when it is conceived, hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin. And sin, when it is finished with you, it bringeth forth death. Hebrews 2.3 says, how shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation? Which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed unto us by them that heard him. Listen to this. How are we going to escape the wrath of God if we just neglect the salvation he's given us? The truth is this. Not everyone's going to escape sin's grip. Temptation wins every time in your life. Sin comes along and is pulling you down to a hole in the ground and to a hell that lasts forever and ever and ever. And God invites you to be saved from all that. God asks you, do, are you willing to be converted? He said, I don't want to be converted. Then you're not going to heaven. Because as you are, you're, you can't get in. You and I are so messed up, we're, we're going to die and go straight to hell if God doesn't save us. If he doesn't change something on the inside. Now, he doesn't make it so that we don't sin. He just puts himself inside of you and he strengthens what, what is dust enough to get us all the way to heaven. You can't change yourself. You can't save yourself. You need a savior. You say, well, I'll go get baptized. You'll waste your time. Don't you spend one second in the water. Well, I'll give away all my money. Well, you can be Elon Musk or Bill Gates and give away billions and billions. It won't get you one second in heaven. You need a savior. His name's Jesus because he can forgive you. And not only can he forgive you of every sin you ever committed and ever will commit, but he can keep you even out of the temptation to sin on a moment-by-moment -moment basis. Will you repent this morning? Will you humble yourself as a sinner before God and admit you're a mess? I had to do it. I still do it. <laughs> I don't get saved all the time, but I constantly repent all the time. I constantly realize I am still a mess. And then you can ask Jesus to save you. Yeah, you're, not, you're not committing to do, 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 do. You're committing to follow, follow, follow. You commit, God, if you, if you gave your son for me, I'll take him. I'll trust him. I'll let him be the savior of my lost soul. Just ask him, don't worry about getting baptized. Don't worry about joining the church, paying your tithes or being good. Just let Jesus wash you white as snow and then desire, you know, Lord, I want to stay that way. Keep me that way. Would you bow your head with me? Would you pray?
I've done my best to try to whet your appetite for a different way of dealing with temptation. I wish we didn't love sin. I wish we didn't love ourselves. I wish we didn't love giving in to temptation because it's after we give in that we have regrets. We have the remorse. What we need is victory over temptation. We need the ability to walk away or run away sometimes from when the devil has such a pull on us. Dear Christian, let me just ask you, aren't you ready to live a different way? Has, has God slowed us down enough to realize there's a better way to live, making right things the right priority in your home, in your schedule, in your thought life? Well, Heavenly Father, as we bow in prayer, God, I just ask you that somebody in this audience, God, would finally admit, yeah, sin's got the better of me. I've never been saved. I've never been born again. I, I think I'm a pretty good person. But my goodness, this does not reach to thee. I will miss heaven simply because I've neglected to be saved. I've never rejected Jesus, but I've never accepted him either. Well, 39 years ago, God, I'm glad I decided I wasn't going to stand on the fence. I was going to get all the way in. And I cried out to you and asked you to save a wretch like me. I asked you to forgive me and make me your child. I remember the, the day, the hour, the place. It was, it was the greatest moment of my life. Changed my life, saved my life. Lord, somebody in this audience, God, can do it right now. I pray they would, and I pray they let me know they did. Send me a text, send me something, say, I got saved today. Amen. I'd like to rejoice with you. Call you my brother, my sister. But dear Christian, maybe you need to repent. That sin that does so easily beset you, well, it probably easily besets me too. But the only difference is going to be, do we, are we willing to put up a fight? Are we willing to take a way to escape? Are we willing to let God overwhelm our nature with his nature? He's got a much better nature, much better way of thinking, much better way of acting than I do. So Lord, I hope, I hope Christians from this day forward choose to let you help them when temptation is roaring, screaming at them, pulling them down a path they don't want to go. Give us victory, Scott. We're, we're a miserable army because we haven't won any wars in a while. We ought to be winning every battle that this flesh puts up and the devil puts up. We ought to be winning it. We're never going to be perfect. But boy, we ought to be living better. And I pray, God, we want it. In Jesus' name, amen.